It's Monday, February 8th. Welcome to Market Forward. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, a very sad Taylor Muckerman, <laughs> and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. <laughs> That's like the most dire, just I'm sorry, Debbie right? Downer. <laughs> sad. I shouldn't have led with that, but oh, you know, I only think about it when I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> like all Carolina Panther fans, Taylor, a little sad today. Uh, on the other hand, Denver Bronco fans, a little extra pep in their step. Well, no offense. I mean, I would say Taylor, you seem to be handling this loss a little bit better than Cam. So yeah, I'm know, here. I'm, I'm at the microphone. He hasn't gotten up and left the left the studio. <laughs> That's we, true. we got He's plenty of time. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, we, there's still time. Uh, well, we will get into the Super Bowl ads and who may or may not have helped their business as a result of that. But we do have some news. Let's start with some earnings news. Hasbro's holiday quarter. Holy cow! Profit and revenue higher than expected. Biggest quarterly sales increase in five years. Yeah, I mean, you expect the holiday quarter for a toy maker to be good, but this was really good. Yeah, I mean, in the face of what's been a tough holiday quarter for a lot of retailers, it just goes to show how nice it is to be a toy maker, and and we see this often. I mean, Mattel and and Hasbro, we can watch those. Uh, stories sort of unfold throughout the year as as uh, sales improve from quarter one, two, three, into four, and then that makes sense, right? The holiday quarter is going to be where they really um, make their hay, and and thankfully here for Hasbro and and even Mattel to a degree, but really Hasbro uh, is is benefiting from Star Wars. Obviously, I mean big licensing agreements there, and they can sell a lot of toys from the Star Wars franchise. And it's you know they they took a fro they took that frozen licensing deal away from Mattel recently and so going forward Hasbro is going to benefit from that from that property now Frozen Two will be coming out we don't know I, I think a specific release date yet I think there's talk of 2017 or or even 18 maybe uh, but either way they're they're going to certainly exploit that and I think do do very well with that as well. I I think what was really interesting for me to hear just I think it was last week just a few days ago was the talk of Hasbro and Mattel actually potentially merging. And I'm not sure if you you read that but it was something where Hasbro approached Mattel. Uh, but these are their two businesses very similar in, in a lot of respects. I mean similar size, similar balance sheets. Uh, I, th- I think you could argue that Mattel plays into that Girls' toys' strength with the Barbie property, and Hasbro is a little bit more successful on the boys' toy side of thing. Um, I think, generally speaking, that could be a pretty pretty neat uh, merger if they if they ended up making it work. I mean, it would create a licensing powerhouse, so to speak, with a with a truly global footprint. So it remains to be seen how that'll play out. But I think Hasbro is is a story that's worked out very well for investors here over the over the past few years. It's a popular recommendation in Stock Advisor, and um, and investors continue to win with it. And you're absolutely right about the licensing deals, and they've been very smart about that. But just like apparel makers, toy makers need to do a really good job with managing inventory. No question. And it seems like Hasbro, among their other strengths recently, has been a very good operator on that front. No question. And you you could flip that, you know, and look at the other side of the coin there and. You see, we've seen some quarters with Mattel where they've they've had to take inventory back from some of their big retail partners, and they have to do that obviously at a cost. And so you see that play out on the margin line. And and I think to your point even more, there is a there is a nature these these toy makers a good bit of their success is tied to the success of the big media properties 
that are building these these long lasting sort of franchise names. So Frozen, for example, or Star Wars, for example. I mean, those are those are tied obviously to Disney, but you see properties tied to DreamWorks as well. So you see all sorts of different uh, success that they have, which is which is not entirely in their control. Uh, which is why tying up with something like a Disney is such an attractive proposition because you know uh, those guys have a history and a really really good track record of spinning gold um, from from all sorts of, of of properties. By the way, Dan Boyd and I were out in San Diego last week for the event we had for Motley Fool One members, and we missed you. And, <laughs> yes, we did, and and we missed being here. <laughs> And Dan and I both got to spend some quality time in some of our nation's airports. Nice. Dallas, Phoenix, here in D.C., and and obviously San Diego (laughs) as well. And uh, I don't know about Dan, but I saw a lot of Frozen stuff. Just when you spend time and you're just watching people coming and going from different gates, that kind of thing. A lot of Frozen stuff. I suspect we're going to start seeing that stuff really coming into play here this coming holiday season. Granted, it's only February, but... You know, kids are already making their Christmas and holiday lists, and uh, and those will be, I think, um, very very popular toys, especially once that movie comes out. I have a hard time believing Disney won't really nail this one. It's the end of the road for a couple of public companies, Leapfrog and Apollo Education Group. I guess both in their own way tied to education. Uh, Apollo Education is the parent company of the University of Phoenix. Leapfrog, the maker of educational toys for kids. Leapfrog being bought out for a dollar a share, and Apollo Education being bought out for nine fifty a share. Although right now, or as of when the market first opened, it was only up to about eight seventy. What goes through your mind, Taylor, when you see this playing out in the public markets? And feel free to dig into these as individual companies or just this event writ large, because it almost always. Strikes me as this, and I've never had this happen to me as an investor, mm-hmm. but I have to believe it's very much a mixed bag of feelings if you're an investor and you see a stock that has probably tanked for you to some degree or another and it gets bought out at some type of premium. Yep. But you're not going to be made whole. And among your feelings is probably, if it were me, I would probably. Have this overriding feeling of good riddance. Yeah, I think if you see a stock soft like that and you still hold it in your portfolio, if you haven't gotten rid of it for tax loss reasons, you probably almost just forgot about it, or you're just like, well, let's see if anything happens. Um, it, it wasn't a very fun ride, so let's just get off when someone kicks us off, essentially, which it looks bright, 75% premium, but if you held the stock for more than a dollar, you're still at a loss. Uh, for Leapfrog in particular, I mean, what they went after was very, you know, trying to educate children. But the iPad, I think, just smoked it. I think that it will continue to smoke it because parents upgrade their iPads and then their kids get their their older iPad models, or they just go out and buy their kid the mini because it's easy distraction and the parents can use it as well. So it's multi-purpose. I was reading a, a write-up that uh, Seth Jason, one of our advisors on Hidden Gems, had done, and I just found myself nodding as I was reading it because. I don't own shares of Leapfrog, but just as a parent, and that was part of how Seth was writing up his report, after the initial sense of, oh, this one particular toy from Leapfrog is well done, my kid likes it, it's very engaging, and 
it's great if you can get, yes you want your kids to have fun but if you can ever find something that your kids enjoy playing with that also is teaching them whether yeah, it's math it's a noble or, enterprise whatever yeah. it is, it's great but his experience was that leapfrog got a little convoluted in their product line and among other things that was another challenge for them on top of the fact that apple came along with the ipad sure i, I mean i think I think shareholders got a gift with this deal, honestly. I mean, I don't mean to come across too harshly here, but a dollar is better than nothing, mm-hmm. and really nothing is probably where it should have been closer to. Uh, Leapfrog, to my mind, it's very interesting sort of the perspective here, because I, I looked at Leapfrog myself from the same sort of parent perspective, and I guess I saw it from the opposite way. I mean, I, I have a nine-year-old daughter and an 11-year-old daughter, and uh, we went through the the stage where they're they're sort of moving from the physical toys into their sort of fascination with electronics and devices and whatnot. And so what we discovered was that in the face of not only the iPad, but now you also have uh, Amazon building out seemingly a fire mm-hmm. tablet for everyone and you can get them for next to nothing with a very robust set of educational apps uh, that 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 come with either either operating platform. It it just really seemed like Leapfrog, the window for their opportunity, just continued to get smaller and smaller and smaller. So, I guess that was where I looked at from the sort of parents' perspective and thought, "Wow, that that to me was was a red flag when it came to Leapfrog." And we ended up selling it for million dollar portfolio in January of 2015 because of some of those concerns. And really, it's been kind of a tough tough spell for them ever since. It also struck me that there's there's a good lesson to learn from Leapfrog beyond just sort of the competitive nature of this market. When you start looking at a stock as a value play and trying to understand how much it may be worth, and is it worth considering a value style investment because of you know some sort of catalyst that may be on the horizon, or perhaps there is uh, cash on the balance sheet which should at least uh, correlate to to you know the stock price in some capacity. And with Leapfrog, they they were at a point where the cash was more. <clears throat> excuse me, the cash on the balance sheet was more than what the stock was trading for, and and that's a very very. Uh, that's an eye-catching sort of indicator. You have to wonder, okay, why is that the case? Because cash is cash, right? Uh, but but if you look at, at Leapfrog, I mean, at the end of September in 2015, they had 52 and a half million dollars in cash and equivalents on the balance sheet. If you go back to you know March, that number was 127 million. So it was very plain to see they were burning a lot of cash, and that cash was going to nothing. And so I think that you know for for the shareholders that decided to hang on to Leapfrog, you know, I'm glad that they were able to get out with something. But but I think it's also worth noting when you see a company that has cash on the balance sheet, don't make that initial assumption that that's going to be something shareholders will get. Because typically, when a business is in a turnaround mode or or sort of emergency crisis mode like that, they need that cash to run the business. Before we move on to the Super Bowl ads, when you look at what's happening with Apollo Education, it's going to be bought out, and and maybe there are some investors out there who think they can hold on for a, a higher price point. Whether or not that happens, one of their competitors is DeVry. DeVry shares up about 6% this morning. Maybe there are some out there who think, well, gosh, if Apollo is going to get bought out, maybe DeVry is as well. Is online education like this is as as standalone businesses? I don't. Know, I should just share what's going through my mind, which is I feel like if I'm a university, 
I'm going to try and do this myself. Yeah, and they I, are. You know, if I'm if I'm Harvard, Yale, if I'm the University of North Carolina, if I'm a, a state university, I'm I'm not going to cede any sort of market share to a a 100% online mm-hmm. university like University of Phoenix. I'm going to make a go of it myself. I don't have any examples, but I know that big universities are doing this with and to great success, offering online courses. I don't think you can get a full out degree, but you can take up to half or even more of your courses online. It just seems too disruptable for one company or two companies to dominate complete online education. Yeah, and I think it just puts these kind of companies square in the headlines, right? I mean, at least as a private company, they're they're not held to the same sort of scrutiny that that public companies are, and I think as public companies. These these types of of uh, for profit educators have have targets on their back. I mm-hmm. think a lot of a lot of people figure out ways to take shots at them. So I, I think going going private in the sense that that uh, that Apollo is probably helps them at least stay out of the headlines and 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 you know keep people from being quite so critical. It's a tough market. It really is. I mean, it's not. Like Taylor said, I think every university is taking advantage of this thing called the internet. I mean, everybody yeah. seems to have it, and it's a pretty nice way to sort of leverage a lot of knowledge in materials and resources that they already have. Yeah, if you can record one class once and then teach it hundreds of times. Sure. Yeah. Was there any business that spent money on Super Bowl advertising that you think helped themselves in any way? I I was a big fan of the T-Mobile attack. Uh, Going on the attack against Verizon and Sprint, I like that. I was I used to be a T-Mobile customer, really enjoyed the service and the quality of service that they provided. So it was just I got a kick out of it because I used to I used to be a prophet. I used to try to convert people over to T-Mobile. I've since switched to Google Fi, but only because of the phone I wanted to get. Um, but I just like to see them going on the offensive and kind of correcting some of the things that companies had said in the in their own marketing in the last few months, using was- using his wrong data or historic data to try to make their point, and T-Mobile came out to kind of set the tone a little bit. That was the ad with Steve Harvey? Uh, the one that the Verizon attack <laughs> ad was like just a recreation of of the marble ad that yeah. Verizon used, and they just flooded the whole screen with pink marbles. Right, and then I think it was Steve Harvey, who was the comedian who was hosting the, the Miss Universe oh, yeah. ad. Like, <laughs> I, I love that ad, because I thought, I like Steve Harvey, and yeah. I just thought it was great for him to sort of poke fun at himself. But I, it did fit right in that in that mode that John Laguerre has been doing the last mm-hmm. few weeks with the drinking games that he's uh, putting out there for Verizon and AT&T. I think Snickers has continued to do very well with their their spots. Uh, the was it was you're, it William, Willem Dafoe was in that one with yes. Marilyn Monroe and I, I you're know, not you when you're clever. hungry. Um, I, th- I you know the one that I think probably created more awareness was Amazon's uh, Baldwin Bowl commercial for Alexa. Like yeah. Jason Jason Schwartzman to me is is really funny and like Alec Baldwin is just pure comedy gold as far as I'm concerned. And I thought that commercial, I mean, having Dan Marino, and it was just a really funny Missy commercial. Elliot. And I think, yeah, Missy Elliott. It was another very clever use of all of the different things Alexa is capable of doing now. And I, I saw something over the weekend. It's just really amazing to think that where we are right now, with all of the talk with Google and Apple and Siri and all of this stuff, that actually Amazon is the one that's really kind of leading the smart home way, right? The, you know, the sort of the path towards the smart home right now. And, and that is legitimate. I mean, I, we have a we have a, an Alexa, we have an Amazon Echo at, at home, and it, it 
just it's mind bending. Every week they come out with these new updates and all sorts of different things you can do with it. And it sure some of them are just novel, but I mean some of them actually will prove to be I think very utilitarian as time goes on. It's just been a very very nice move for Amazon. I think uh, you know it's showing off that they do have some te- uh, technical prowess there and. and uh, I think we'll continue to see those those things uh, spread like wildfire. I'm not going to hold my breath waiting for Amazon executives to divulge in the next <laughs> quarterly call how many they sold. I don't think they ever will. <laughs> Can we talk for a second about this Rocket Mortgage commercial? I don't know if you saw this, but Quicken Loans has a product called Rocket Mortgage, mm-hmm. which I was ultimately unsettled by the commercial it because very cultish. it it was a little cultish <laughs> yeah. and it initially struck me as hey what's been great about internet services is the ability to simplify things and we'll help you simplify your mortgage and i thought oh okay well yeah. that that makes sense and there's probably a market for that but the ad didn't stop there and it went on as you said taylor sort of cultish and the language used in the commercial made it sound like and everyone should get a simple mortgage, and everyone should buy a home because that's what makes America great. And I just thought to myself, wait a minute, didn't we get into trouble about <laughs> that's what 10, turned America upside down? Didn't we get into trouble about ten years ago with that kind of mentality that everyone should own a home no matter what? And a couple of people on Twitter were commenting on the ad, saying things like, "Was that an ad or was that a scene out of the movie The Big Short?" Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I, I think we have sort of this. I think we have a problem in this country where we feel like it is it is just it is a priority to make sure that everybody owns their own home. And the bottom line is like half this country is not suitable to own a home. Half this country is not fit to own a home. I mean, I may piss someone off saying that. I'm sorry, but I just don't think it's not because maybe they're irresponsible. I just think we have such a we have a society now where you're not stuck in one job for so long, right? I think people like that luxury of being able to move around from place to place to place. And so home ownership just isn't as sensible, I think, for a lot of people. And so it drives me nuts when I see our politicians get out there and really want to create this nation of homeowners because that to me just isn't a real priority. <laughs> like if you yeah. if you want to own a home, buy a home. Maybe you shouldn't own a home and maybe you're not fit for owning a home and that's fine. Don't own, just rent. And most people I think love the luxury of being able to rent and, and to not have to worry about the the responsibilities that come with a home. I, I think we do a great job of sorting selling we're selling that dream of home ownership without really uh, hammering home the the responsibilities that come with it and they are immense. I thought Budweiser did a Great job of working on their brand. I thought the yeah. Bud Light commercial with Seth Rogen and Amy Schumer was very funny. And I thought the, I don't know if you stuck around, this was at the end of the game, and I think that this was the only time they showed it towards the end of the game. The Helen Mirren commercial, mm-hmm. where she was talking about don't. Uh, don't drink and drive. Big burger and the Bud, the Budweiser yeah. on the and table. Just, you donated your brain to yeah, science. Yeah, just, science would give it back. I, I just uh, and I, I, you know, I have a soft spot for Helen Mirren. I love her. Yeah. But I just thought it was a brilliantly conceived and executed ad. And if if it means fewer people get behind the wheel, drunk, then then that is a good thing. And how about the free commercial 
that they got from Peyton Manning oh, after my. the game, talking about how uh, you know I'm going to I'm just going to go have a couple of buds. How many analysts have to go? <laughs> yeah, right. The joke I made last night was uh, analysts are now going Wall Street analysts everywhere go back to revise their Anheuser Busch InBev yeah. uh, <laughs> estimates thanks to the the free beer for life that apparently Peyton Manning will now get. And the company had to put out some sort of official <laughs> yeah, comment like that. we didn't pay him to I say saw that. that, but we thanks. Did. The thing they said, yeah, no, we sure. appreciate it. But well, but apparently he owns like some distributors. Yeah, yes, uh, yes. And so in between his his Papa John's franchise yes. legacy in in the in the one or two distributors that he owns in the in the uh, you know, the beer world, I think that that's more or less kind of plugging his own business, so to speak. Yeah. So a few months ago, uh, Chris Harris, who works in our legal department, and I were talking football and. He said to me, he asked me, he said, how much money do you think Peyton Manning makes off those Papa John's franchises? And I said, I have no idea. He said, I've been, and basically he had been thinking about it, assuming you clear a couple hundred thousand dollars per. He's got about 27, 28 franchises, something like that. He thought, $5 million. $5 Five million right dollars a year, right there, off of those franchises. He's creating jobs. He's making money. I mean, hey, everybody he, just loves him. And he's going out a winner. The commercial that I, the one commercial I thought was really, really good, and it probably slipped, it snuck under a lot of radars. I'm sure was the, it was the Anthony Hopkins. Uh, TurboTax.com Turbo. commercial, yes. where it just starts out, and then he sort of just subtly is plugging it with his with his teacup, and then like at the end, he's his calling slippers. his dog named TurboTax.com. That was good for all of you into it shareholders out there. You, you got to be feeling pretty good about that one right now. A couple of Oscar winners. That's sure nice. Oh, and the Christopher Walken Kia commercial. Yeah, Christopher yeah. Walken. That that one caught me off guard. Just needed a little like, bit more cowbell. Socks. A little bit more. Where were the where were the uh, DraftKings and the Bitcoin commercials? Those are ah, excellent yeah. point. They were not to be seen, That's were right. they? Yeah, I think DraftKings is has taken whatever money they had earmarked for television ads and yeah. they're lawyering <laughs> legal expenses. <laughs> Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.